everything left over our podcast about hbo's the leftovers my name is justin blizzard i'm here with keith krepko thank you um, nice to be here <laughs> and before we get into uh the second episode i wanted to share a review and possibly give some feedback on the review some feedback on the feedback yeah hmm um, the review comes courtesy of a user by the name of PVD3384. Probably the year he was born. <laughs> so in the future. Yep. Okay. That makes some sense, I guess. It's um, my theory. Yeah. And he gave us two stars out of five. Which I'll is, take it. Yeah, that's fine. One two, each. It's two more than we had before. That's right. And he says, these guys do have some information about the show, and they seem knowledgeable. Thank you. I was interested in seeing what they had to say, but they are not very put together. (sighs) Making fun of other podcasts while you record? Really? Makes them seem a little condescending. That's probably how I'm sounding right now. (laughs) I I think you're just reading it pretty liberally. Okay, good. Uh, If you want to listen to a Leftovers podcast, I would probably avoid these guys and go listen to Following the Leftovers or The Living Reminders. They are a little more professional. I think you put the emphasis on the wrong word. I wouldn't say avoid. I'd say <laughs> avoid these guys. Uh, well, that's okay. Maybe. That's me. Um, so we you know, just wanted to start off by saying thank you for taking the time, not just to listen, but to critique. Yeah. It's useful. Yeah, we're not and professionals. All, yeah, all joking aside, we're not trying to sound condescending. And you're exactly right. We're not professionals. We're literally two guys Yet. sitting at a dining room table talking to each other table. about the leftovers. And I would say podcast and unprofessional, it's a little redundant. You know what I mean? It like, goes together. Yeah, it's a podcast. <laughs> It's we're not we're not like broadcasting for NPR or whatever, right? Um, but with that being said, the unprofessional sort of uh, not put together, we have an itinerary for tonight. So you know, I, I we definitely listen. Like I I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and with that being said, too, we're not we're not just going. We're not here to recap the episode. You know, there are plenty of other podcasts that do that, and that's great for them. I, You know, it's just not what we're interested in doing or listening to. So this is for people who maybe would like to explore key scenes in a deeper way than just running the show down scene by scene right. and, and giving thoughts. And thematic right. kind of more, details. Maybe more thematic things. And like I said, we're just more interested in, in talking about the things from the show that interested us rather than... Just being like, this is how the show opened. What did you think? And again, nothing wrong with that. I have no issue with that. There are obviously a lot of people who enjoy that. And that's great for them. Um, and to address the issue of uh, making fun of other podcasts, uh, I will I will take the hit on that, quote unquote, because it was my joke. <laughs> but with that being said, it was a joke. It was a lighthearted observation that, um, believe it or not, the people who run the other podcast emailed us about. And it was just like, hey, um, thanks for the shout out. 
funny joke, like blah, blah, blah. They were really nice about it and they recognized it for what it was, which was just a lighthearted observation. It wasn't a jab. I wasn't trying to make fun of them in any way. Um, you were just honestly perplexed by why people were identifying with the right, guilty remnant. Right. That's more of what it was about than the actual name of the podcast. And with that being said, our podcast is called Everything uh. Left Over, <laughs> and we don't talk about everything in the leftovers. So if there's any name that's more contradictory, it's ours. Right. Um, and also, you, a little bit in the episode, a little bit uh, after that, we talked about maybe we should call it lukewarm leftovers or or, or uh, fully cooked or whatever. And I will say that we recorded Monday night, just like we're doing tonight, which was before any of the other podcasts came out that were named, you know, Reheated or Tupperware Party. So we weren't making fun of them either because right. they literally weren't even out yet. We we're had no idea. They even Exactly. We were just spitballing. Um, so that's all. I just wanted to address that at the beginning. We're not trying to be condescending. We're just doing what we think is interesting, right? And we hope that's different than what other podcasts are offering because, you know, if not, why do it at all? And I think you're naturally condescending. <laughs> that might be true. You. That might be true. And I also wanted to say very quickly, this PVD guy has four reviews in iTunes. They're all for Leftovers podcast, or maybe he has five, five including ours. Mm. He positively reviews the two that he named drop. He name drops in our reviews, and then he gets on. Um, Maybe I shouldn't go into this. I'm not. I'm not trying to. Thanks for the review, PVD. <laughs> Thank you, PVD. But anyways, he reviews negatively. Also, the voice modulator guy, right? And it's like, if you haven't listened to that podcast, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. But like, I'm glad he's doing it because, like, wait, can, you're you're glad the voice modulator guy is? Yeah, doing just because it's different. Like, oh. it's just a, some guy, like. More or less, it seems like he's reading like maybe like Wikipedia recaps of the episodes, right? But he's doing it with a voice modulator that makes him sound like the a guy who would call to threaten and murder killer, you. right? <laughs> right? It's, it's so weird. It's, it is weird. But at the same time, it's like it's free. Did he give him one star? I think he gave him one star, and was just like, "Is this art? What is this? I don't." We're know. We're better. Yeah, we're better than that. So, which you know, I think that's might be arguable for some people. <laughs> um, or no, man, he gave that guy two stars. Oh, so we're tied. Well, I'm fine with that, actually. Really? Yeah. I, I I tried to listen to voice modulator guy twice. I tried, and both times, it's like listening to going referencing one of our favorite radio shows that is now off the air. It goes back to a challenge on that radio show, the best show. Yeah, where you have to listen to the Frankie well, teardrop challenge, the Frankie teardrop mm -hmm. challenge, which is a song that's terrifying. You have to go out in the dark, right? No one can be around you. You can't see any lights and you have to listen to this whole like 10 minute song. I would, I would posit that listening to that man read <laughs> his voice modulated right. Wikipedia page uh -huh. might be an equally tough challenge it as the Frankie be. teardrop. Yeah. So maybe we should do that. Listener. Go listen to the voice modulated yeah. <laughs> uh, leftovers podcast. It has to be outside. Yeah. It has to be in pitch dark. In the dark, yeah. And tell in us the what happens. Of the night, yeah. If anything manifests. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, but one of the things I wanted to talk about, like we were saying with the title, my whole observation with the title of the Guilty Remnants podcast is I, th- I thought it was strange that someone was naming themselves after this cult group from the show that to me seemed like a bunch of creeps, right? Mm-hmm. Like unrelatable. They just seemed like weirdos. And in the in the time between the pilot episode and the second episode, I've seen in a lot of uh, threads, a lot of comments, I've seen a lot of reviews, you know, other people on podcasts have really identified with the guilty remnant for some reason. And even the guy who emailed me about the podcast was like, you know, we, we don't even know if they're the villains yet. And that's could be that's true. We I guess we don't. Um, but I was wondering what. Like, if you've experienced the same thing, have your did your feelings at all sort of vacillate between the two episodes, or were you pretty formally in the like these guys are weirdos <laughs> camp? Yeah, I, th- I think that was one of my questions on the the first episode was if their manifesto or their lack of a manifesto is enough to actually attract people in the way that they are. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> do I believe that Meg would be attracted to these people? without them doing you know or at least saying anything you know yeah and keeping her how how would you keep a new recruit if you're like we're not talking to you we're not there's no like here are 10 commandments or whatever they're not even telling her what to do there's nothing basically just ignoring her (laughs) yeah there's nothing you you just have to like start doing what they tell you to do and it's like so that was always my feeling and it's based out of the fact that yeah the guilty remnant are wackos like yeah I think people are just attracted to their their creation. And I think that they are one of the best creations to come out of the book. Having mm-hmm. said that, I don't think that they're good people at all. I don't think it's even close to like a like a Heisenberg, Walter White, you know, breaking bad thing where it's like, do I cheer for Walter White or don't I kind of like it? Right. Like there's no part of me that likes or identifies with the guilty remnant. Yeah. You know? Like they should not be doing what they're doing. Yeah. And they are not the ones who are quote unquote remembering, you know, like they don't have the monopoly on remembering this disappearance. Somebody else could be grieving their own, let them grieve in their own way. Right. Like you don't have to force your ideas on other people. So to me, they are inherently kind of the quote unquote bad guys Mm -hmm. because they are fundamentalists. They're forcing their beliefs on other people and they don't even have the courtesy to explain what their beliefs are. (laughs) I would, you know, I think that's all I would do if I, I just walk up and be like, look, you're, you're staring. Okay. What do you believe? Right. What do you want me to get? Yeah. Can I have a cigarette at least? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know? Yeah, I I agree. I, I was definitely like, I mean, I think it's great that people are getting different things from the show and interpreting it differently, but that's the one thing that just is like, I don't get it. Yeah. Like, and, and at the very least, they're like maybe villains is too strong of a word or maybe too low of a word, but they're at least like antagonists, right? Like they're at least not the good guys. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, you know, you I, I don't think you're supposed to be rooting for the guilty remnant. at least. Right. Um, we, we should do a podcast called like the true remi- re- rememberers or something. And yeah. It'll just be silent, but we'll just be scratching and like writing <laughs> and just like holding up to each other. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then the other thing that really caught me off guard after the pilot was how many um, people, and especially what caught me off guard was 
Um, I think they talk about this a little bit. They they end their discussion um, on the Slate Gab Fest with this. And I also saw it in a bunch of publications where people are really expecting a resolution to the disappearance, like an answer to why these people disappeared. And not on top of that, it's it's almost like they're expecting Lindelof to like make penance for lost, right? <laughs> right. It, it seems like that's how it's being framed. And right. admittedly, that's kind of a feeling that I had going into it, like hoping it would be addressed. But like I said in the last episode, after the pilot, I really got the feeling that it wasn't going to be addressed. Yeah. And that was fine with me. Like, yeah. I don't think it needs to be. Yeah. It's in, unless you, we get to a point in the series where it's like constantly hinted at, or it becomes like a focal point. I don't really see why that would be an issue, but I'm always surprised at how many people were really expecting this to be solved. Or a lot of people were just like, what do you think the mystery is? Why do you think these people disappeared? Well, it, it, I think it comes out of a good, kind of impulse when you think about why did Damon Lindelof choose this subject matter, right? So he picks subject matter and a book that does not answer the question to be his, you know, first kind of foray back into the world of television after Lost. And I feel like some people were immediately interpreting that as him being like, I'm going to do it right this time. Yeah. And their interpretation of doing it right, a story with a central mystery, is to answer that mystery. But I don't think that that's... I don't think that we should expect that from him. I think it's an interesting question to ask. Why did he choose this material? Like, you would think that somebody who had such a rough kind of go at lost that is still i think in many ways haunting him because he can't give an interview about the leftovers without right. somebody bringing up lost yeah. and the central mystery yeah this that, isn't going to end like lost right this right like that, that he that he wouldn't just say you know what this is a new show that i'm doing it's about a teenage girl in high school um and she's uh, a private detective yeah. or something like uh, Veronica Mars or, you right. know, like do something completely different, yeah. you know, and, and just get away or do like a romantic comedy or, you know, but he just keeps doing like Prometheus and, you know, the leftovers and like all these shows that have like, or movies that have central themes that like aren't explored or, you know, people don't understand. And uh, to me, it made me think, and we don't have to, this is a rabbit hole, but it made me think like, with True Detective and Lindelof and J.J. Abrams and the glorification of the mystery, like, is this our generation? Like, you know, we're in the middle of the superhero kind of thing, but that's kind mm -hmm. of dying out. Mm -hmm. Is the next wave going to be, like, unanswerable mysteries? You know, you have Shane Carruth and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, everything that he's doing from Primer to Upstream Color. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just like... None of these have answers. What what's your sound of my voice is another indie film that I mm. watch. Like what's your take on all this? Yeah, I guess it could be the new like the good guy dies at the end. You know what I mean? Like that was big for a long time. Right. Or whoever doesn't win at the end. Um, I don't know. I think it's an interesting question. I don't know. I think I think the hmm, I think the 
the backlash to it is strong enough to where like I don't think it could ever like actually catch on. And I also I also don't maybe with now I'll give I'll I'll grant it to you with Shane Carruth. I know that he's being purposeful. I don't know that Lindelof is being all that purposeful in his unanswered mysteries. You know what I mean? <laughs> I feel like some of it may just be poor planning. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, some of it may be like, and this is something to get into. We'll get into a little bit later, but from some of the things I read, some of the interviews I, I read with Tom Parada today, it seems to me like Lindelof has all of these great ideas mm-hmm. that he just starts running away with and he needs someone to kind of um, lasso him in. You know what I mean? Right. Like because focus if not, on he one. just starts throwing them all out there mm-hmm. and then you lose the thread. Um, and, and with, with, you know, to bring it back to the reveal, what I read in Vulture today, one of those articles on Tom Parada and the leftovers this is a quote from from what I read in Vulture. It says, "Quote his uh, they're talking to Tom. They're talking to Tom Parada about HBO execs take on the show." He said his only red line when he thinks about it now would have been their insistence on explaining the sudden departure. To hear Lindelof tell it, a big reveal seems unlikely. Saying, "Quote if that's why you're watching the show, don't watch the show." Right. <laughs> End quote. So that's why I was so surprised, and like, I, and that's kind of the feeling I got from the first, at least from the first episode. Well, and and I also feel like there's there's a part of me, and and this was an interview that I read a while ago, um, where I feel like he he gave that answer, but he also left like a little crack in in a window to kind of say like, if we wanted to answer it though, we have all the right to. I feel like what he's kind of saying is. If you start watching a show with this reveal, I wonder if he's saying you don't deserve to get the reveal if mm-hmm. we ever decide to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, like if that is answered, it's going to be for the people who are interested in the answer because the characters are interested, mm-hmm. not because they are, right? Not, yeah, not like, just because I'm watching a show because something crazy happens. I exactly. Know what it was. Exactly. It seems to me that Lindelof is trying to address, maybe not explicitly, saying, you know, we care about how you watch our show. And if you're not watching it the right way, then turn us off. Yeah. Because if you're not connecting with the characters, then you don't deserve the mystery, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the actual episode at hand. Episode two aired last night. Um, it was called... And, and I think we can use this uh, because another interview with Lindelof... He called it purposefully pretentious. Right. So it has the purposefully pretentious name of. Yeah. Uh, Penguins. It has the purposefully pretentious name of Penguins 1 Us 0. Um, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, we're going to keep going like we did with the first episode. And like I said earlier, we're not going to recap the entire episode. We're just going to go through the show chronologically and talk about the things that we found interesting. Um, And one of the first things, or the very opening line of the episode, I think, was something we talked about at the end of last episode or Mm -hmm. some point during last episode. And it was, how are they going to handle the reveal of 
Holy Wayne's healing, quote unquote, healing power. And they handle it by the opening line being something about Holy Wayne hugging the pain away. And it's almost like muttered and it's almost like a throwaway line. Right. And I really liked that. I liked that that's how they handled it. And considering I I feel like his his power, his quote unquote power (laughs) um, is exactly deserving of that sort of treatment. You know what I mean? Like he's more or less just hugging people and accepting their pain. And it's as ridiculous as that sounds, as sort of inconsequential as that sound sounds, I feel like that's exactly how they handled it. It it was sort of the perfect. It's um, dismissive. It's it's very dismissive. right? Right. And it's not like. Like I was worried about, like I said before, I was worried that it was going to be this long drawn out thing where we're constantly seeing people healed and it's just this mystery of like, man, what's he doing? But instead it's just as tossed away for as, you know, sort of silly as a thing that it is. Right. Which is great. Um, <coughs> Did you, uh, I also, I, I kind of, Wanted to ask you about this too, because I read an interview about Tom Parada making the the show darker. Yeah, and he talks about, and I've heard some other people say that he wanted the book starting off to be kind of humorous, mm-hmm. and as he started writing, it got it got darker and darker in the book. But he wanted to inject humor into it, and now this show has gone even darker. Right, and he talks about you know some of the humor, you know, going away. And later on, I kind of want to ask you a question about something that he points to in the show as being humorous. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this, you know, the, the fact that he hugs out people's pain is kind of, like you said, it's kind of brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's funny, dismissive, but also I think it fits the craziness of this kind of world post- yeah. The departure, yeah, you know, and I wanted to know a little bit more about what your feeling was. Like, did you find that humorous that reveal? You said you you liked how they dealt with it, but what do you think of the fact that Holy Wayne hugs people? Yeah, I didn't. I guess I didn't find the reveal itself funny, and it's it's not one of those things that like where I feel like it's funny in theory, but then later on in the episode. When he tries to where hug you, somebody. Right, exactly. <laughs> where you see him trying to hug Tom or Tommy. It just is like, this is really <laughs> stupid. Like, this is really uncomfortable. Um, so, yeah, that is that is really funny. But, I, again, I think it speaks to what we talked about earlier where it's like, I recognize these moments in the show that are supposed to be humorous, but they're just not. Right? It just doesn't work. And yeah. I, and even watching as as funny as that is to recount now, I didn't. I guess I I wasn't like laughing when it happened in the show. It was just kind of like, it's just kind of unsettling a little yeah, bit. And, no, and, yeah, and kind it's of very weird. uncomfortable. Yeah, but I I think I think that could go to at least, you know, people. I've heard people complain that this show is kind of like misery porn, mm-hmm. and I don't agree with that. To me, I say. Watch the first like five episodes of the first season of The Killing if you want misery porn. That is like, oh, hey, you want to see a dad grieve for his daughter? Oh, hey, let's break from that to show the mother grieving for the daughter. Hey, do you want to see the young children who don't understand what's going on get (laughs) yelled at by their grieving parents? Let's show you that, you know, with no break in like levity with this. 
I feel like if Holy Wayne isn't a break in levity, he at least is a break in tone a little bit where you have, you know, this man in the middle of this mystery who's like, he just wants to hug people (laughs) and kind of uh, molest Right. Asian girls. Right. Underage girls. Which which leads us to the next point, which is you have this scene of where at least the, the storyline is being handled well. And um, the, the storyline is being handled well, even though it's being handled by very sort of like cookie cutter CIA or FBI agents. You know, chomping on an apple chomping on an apple who, he doesn't finish it he doesn't finish, right none of that and like and like it like cuts to it cuts to like a side a profile shot of him right and he takes this huge bite of an apple and he really struggles, struggles with it. it it just yeah. was like ugh, it just was like you couldn't have like planned that a little bit better there's a couple of moments like that in this episode one i'll i'll talk about at the very end but it's just like you know you're being filmed, right? Like, and you know you can like do this over. Just get a different apple and like <laughs> make sure you really bite into it. And I mean, that's not that big of a deal. It was just it was like it's one of those things where it's like, man, what was what is he thinking right then? Maybe that's part of the humor yeah, that they're trying to inject into maybe. the show. But anyways, you have that fairly deftly handled scene, which then transitions to this like, like. Michael Bay-esque action scene with these SWAT team members or ATF members bursting into Wayne's compound and just like blowing away people that were literally in the scene before described as dumb college kids running errands and underage girls who are victims of statutory rape. It's just like, what <laughs> happened? Right? Yes. And I watched it. I Like last week, I watched the episode again today when I was at work. And um, I had to actually go back and rewatch the scene to make sure that I saw it. But the, the, the guys in the scene do have guns and they are, I think, firing at the SWAT team right. members. But the way that it's filmed um, and, you know, this is all on Peter Berg, which, who you know, I don't think he's the best choice. But anyways, it, it's very difficult to see that. And then, you know, maybe you could look at it and say, well, you know, it would be difficult if you're if you're bursting in there with all this gear on. But I really don't think that's the point. For, I think that's giving him a lot of credit. You know what I, I have a problem with is I felt like when you run in with the SWAT team, the people that you see get shot do have guns. I think, yeah. they, I think they do a good point of that. The problem that I have, and I know that you're getting to this, is the SWAT member who chases down the very special girl, right? Right. And he's like threatening to kill her. But not only that, after that scene or even behind him, you see like guns going off like crazy. (laughs) Like even after that, just like a Mm -hmm. bunch of, and I'm like, Mm -hmm. this is after the initial push. So you're giving me the impression that either they stumbled upon 30 more armed college kids or now they really are kind of crossing lines and just kind of, blasting away prisoners take no prisoners like that and that was my problem with the first 15 minutes of this is i felt like it all could have been dialed back right just a little bit right did that swat member with the girl with the little scared girl out in the alley have to threaten to like blow her effing head off or whatever like he's like screaming at her and she's like surrendering and he's like where you know and why does he think that she out of everybody else would know where holy wayne is it it just 
you just wanted to go back a step. And then uh, I wanted to talk about what happens next. I don't know if I cut you off. So I don't know if you want to get there. Well, on I was your just going to say, apparently everybody except for Tom knows why this Christine girl is super special. Right. Except for Tom and us. Right. Right. Because like there's a lot of Holy Wayne saying you have to protect her. She's blah, blah. And then apparently this SWAT team member is like convinced she knows something. So, and then, and then when Tom shoots the SWAT member, which I feel very comfortable based on um, interviews with Damon Lindelof and saying they're going off book pretty much episode two. Right. You know, from here out. I feel totally fine saying what's in the book. I've read the book. So if you don't want to know what did or did not happen in the book, stop listening. Tom does not kill anybody in the book. Yeah. And Holy Wayne does not go down in a blaze of gunfire. It's like he's a middle-aged dude who has statutory rape convictions. He's going around hugging people. He's not keeping a secret. Yeah. The police pick him up and he gets arraigned, you know, and Tom kind of goes on the run with this girl trying to go back home. I mean, he hasn't done anything wrong either. He's just trying to go back home, you know. When Tom shoots that SWAT member, I'm like flashbacks of Friday Night Lights season two the epic decision to have Landry, mm. you know, kill somebody with his like bare hands. Yeah. I just want with a pipe. I just wanted to be like, Tom, like does Tom have to have blood on his hands now for yeah. the rest of this series? Is this like, did he have to shoot that SWAT member? Number one, couldn't you have just had her like, and, and they're off book. So who knows? And I'm sure they have a, a plan for it. But with where they went with it later on in the in the series, it did not make me excited to know that this Tom guy is now going to have Holy Wayne holding over the death of a SWAT member over his head. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. It's, I, I'm really not looking forward to a possible, like, sort of Landry situation. Yes. Which I stopped watching the show at that point. Like, that was a real turnoff for me. And... Where it's just as like you're now dealing with this tortured guy because he mm-hmm. killed somebody, and just is like that, that to me, the 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 events leading up to it and the action itself is so unbelievable that his then torture with the act itself is just not interesting. You don't it's buy not into it. Yeah, right. It's yeah, it's like why are we still dealing with this? Yes, and that's all speculation, of course. But. Right. So so we'll, we'll, that's one storyline that I'm interested in following. If it does end up feeling like Landry, and yeah. I hope that the, I hope to God they don't do that because I'm not interested in a Tom. I'm not a killer, yeah. but I am a killer. Right. You know, kind of like Dark Knight of the Soul. You yeah. know, I I just uh, I don't want I don't want more scenes of Tom screaming underwater naked, right? Like in a pool. Yeah, or screaming while hitting a steering wheel. Or screaming while hitting a steering so he's wheel. Exactly. Finished both episodes screaming. Okay. Um, so after, but after that is the credit sequence, which was not included in the first episode. And I think the credit sequence, as you pointed out to me when we were sort of uh, working on the outline for this episode, is uh, is pretty misplaced. And I feel like it it could just be another one of those things that like. Um, I hate to sort of dogpile on Damon Lindelof, 
But I feel like it could be one of those things that Damon Lindelof thinks is really cool. And it is a cool credit sequence. Like, it's it's neat. You know, the the painting, the paint, the sort of moving painting aspect right. of it. It looks, it looks good. It, it looks good. But it is completely, like, out of touch with the show that it is a credit sequence for. For. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, with the with the the in the in in and just like we spent a lot of time talking about the entire, um, the sudden departure is supposed to be unexplained, and yet this credit sequence is would lead you to believe that it was religious, right? Or there's some sort of religious undertones to it, or or that it happened that way. That right, you know, they watched as these people got sucked, sucked up, up yeah, to heaven. We don't even know where they went. That's part of the mystery. I right. mean, if anything, we know that they literally just disappeared. Yeah. I mean, it just made me think like, could you not just have like pans of family photos where people disappear out of the photos? Yeah. Like, yeah. that's more realistic to how it happened. Do or... like a back to the future thing, right? <laughs> it's like <laughs> as he's changing things, people just slowly disappear from the pictures. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and so I just. That really struck me. And then again, I know that they farm out credit sequences. But to think that the showrunners didn't have any say in how the credits yeah. w- would look, I think is is you know ridiculous. But it does feel like the people who did the credit sequence like got an early draft. And they're like, oh, we got this. Yeah, We got this element, this element, this element. We'll make it religious. We'll show them going up in the air. And then after they like worked out the rest of the plot, the rest of the show... It's like, uh, yeah, that credit sequence is way off, you yeah. know, but we've invested too much money in it. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe know? it was just like, oh, the show's about the rapture. All right. We got it. <laughs> yeah. And Damon Lindoff like, was See like, it's not about the months. rapture. <laughs> <laughs> and the door's already closed. You know, he's like, oh, well. Yeah. The, the, the other thing, I don't know um, if you want to get like, and the, the other thing that got to me is like, I understand the irony of it. I do understand that fundamentally... I think the idea even came to Tom Parada, like, what if this religious happening happened in a secular setting, Mm -hmm. you know, divorced of the religious meaning of it? Mm -hmm. You know, this rapture event where apparently not everybody was a Christian, you know, that Mm -hmm. that was taken or was a good person. And so I understand about, you know, using religious iconography and imagery. But then I also don't understand, like, Again, this goes back to the humor idea. Like when you get to that panel of like, you know, two men like embracing and then literally like you see in the corner and it's slowly coming in frame and it's a woman like going down on another woman, the woman like being, you know, getting (laughs) great pleasure. Right. And it's really graphic. And I I just want to sit there and be like, is, am I supposed to like just identify the irony of that and be like, yep. That's religious imagery mixed with the secular, like, you know, or, or showing maybe the, the religious in the secular. I understand that. But then you look at the actual show itself and I'm like, who are those characters? Like, you know, we're not even introduced to, you know, characters who would represent those people necessarily. Yeah. And not saying that all those images did, but I guess it goes back to the tone of it. Like, is that just a thematic kind of inclusion which it's fine i have no problem with it whatsoever but just again strikes me as another kind of tone deaf like image of you know the credit sequence i just i just don't understand what the impulse was behind the i guess it was just the irony yeah 
Yeah, and it could also very well just be like, you know, because there's been so much talk about how HBO is forcing their shows to include nudity. <laughs> so maybe oh, yeah, they, they saw the credit <laughs> sequence was like, we want, we need a little bit more action in this, guys. <laughs> Spice it up a little bit. <laughs> hey, we got it. Don't People worry about it, Damon. looking at this every week, okay? You're, you're, you're going to love this series. We got it. We got our guy on it. He's done with Game of Thrones, making sure there's enough nudity in there. And he's back. He's, he's over on this show now. Yeah. We, we, we got you covered. Um, yeah. So, and out of the credit sequence, I believe we then go into um, Kevin is at a therapist, right? Well, he has that nightmare. That's right. And with I, the with the friend's daughter, who yes. I'm really hoping that doesn't go into yes. like a weird sexual thing, but you know. And then the guy who shot the, the 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 dogs with right. The other thing that I think is interesting there's a, there's a recap that I review or, or that, that I read on Vox, mm-hmm. um, and I really like the guy who's reviewing it um, on there, and he brings up like the, again the religious imagery mm-hmm. the fact that he's burning you know which is this this identification of you know after the rapture like the sorting of the heathen and the believer or whatever that you know there's biblical images of what was cast away being burnt right yeah or even hell imagery you know and the fact that he's being burned i, I don't think is arbitrary like i think it's i think it, it's an interesting thematic detail yeah and for for that purpose, I felt like that dream was actually one of the more successful parts of this, um, and shows what the what the promise of the show could be, which is this kind of you know hijacking of biblical ideas, identities, imagery, shoving it into this other kind of story and playing things out, and I, I find that interesting. And I find that his reviews really do that well, mm-hmm. where they point back to maybe the religious touch points, not saying that everything is going to be strictly adhered to religiously, but it adds to the theme of Kevin Garvey being this kind of lost, mm-hmm. you know, kind of feeling at least like a damned soul, mm-hmm. you know, who was not part of that elect, you know, or chosen yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But anyway, the therapist. Yeah. So, so, so we go, so we, so I guess Kevin decides to see a therapist after his, or I guess, you know. He's like work appointed. Right. Maybe it doesn't seem like it's a regular, obviously it's not a regular thing that he does on the, on the regular, I should say, because he gets there and his therapist is like a buffoon more or less, right? (laughs) Like he starts by getting his wife's name wrong, calling her Lauren. Assuming that they're exes that right they assuming were to- that they're exes and then completely miss and then when kevin is just like you have to ask her i feel like he completely misses the point by <laughs> saying like oh i get it because she doesn't talk right it's kind of like i feel like it's kind of like no you just have to ask her you know what i mean right like, if that was me in that situation I, I would say you would have to ask her because i would mean you just need to ask her like, right i'm not trying to like play on the fact that she's joined a silent cult i'm just saying like ask her and, and that, that's the other thing is like, <clears throat> did he have to be so buffoonish? I mean, right. he really seemed like he was totally clueless. Like, that's the last guy I'd ever want to tell. It made me think like, were all the therapists taken in, in the departure? <laughs> right. And now there's these like, 
I, I have a year of in college. Like I'm good to go. <laughs> That's the first thread they find. Like all the therapists were disappeared. Yeah. Right? Um, but yeah, I think it, and I think it speaks to sort of what we were saying earlier with the tone of the show. Like, is this guy supposed to be humorous? Is it supposed to be like, and this is something, um, I'll talk about, I don't know if I included it in here, but I'll, I'll go ahead and talk about it now. It's something that, um, it's something that I, I feel like it it, 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 it could just be that he's, it's supposed to be funny and it just is being sort of misread, or it could be that like the 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 grief of the disappearance has taken a toll on this guy, and he can no longer do his job properly. The therapist, right? Hmm. Which yeah. is sort of maybe like a unifying theme for a lot a lot of these characters. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like that's being very generous, right? And with that being said, and this applies to to Garvey himself and to a lot of the characters, I feel like because we have not spent any time with these characters before the disappearance. We have no idea what they acted like before. So we have no idea like how they're dealing with this grief. Like, I don't know if Kevin Garvey is smashing a toaster and turning it upside down to find bagels because (laughs) that's how he always did. (laughs) Or if it's because he's like kind of a hothead, you know what I mean? Like I understand that it's because he's grieving. Right. But at the same time, like he could also be a hothead. You know what I mean? You just don't know because that it hasn't been established. And you know, granted it's only the second episode or maybe flashbacks. Right. And there will be time to establish that. And maybe it will just establish itself naturally through the course of watching the show. But I feel like it's one thing that's really sort of harming the show at this point is because you just don't know who these characters are and it doesn't go out of its way at all to explain who they are. Yeah. I I guess, you know, for me, I have a slightly different take in the sense that I still, I feel like the acting is strong enough to kind of carry me through. Um, especially with Kevin Garvey Mm -hmm. where I'm, I'm giving especially him a little more, Rope. There are some people that I really would like character resolution on. One of those is Laurie. Mm-hmm. Um, to know like, and and we're we're getting that piece by piece. Like in this yeah. episode, she's like talking to Matt or writing with Meg. You know, Meg asked her why she left her whole family. She's like, I remember. You know, so we're we're getting a little bits and pieces of why she would make the decision that she did. But those are the mysteries that I feel like they will answer. They have to answer yeah. are those character kind of based mysteries of what is motivating these people to make the decisions that they're making. Because I think you're right. If we're just getting a story that propels us forward, then we're just seeing people who are mentally unhinged and we're never seeing them at a time when they were mentally together. Right. And so it's like, I have no reference point. You know, is Kevin Garvey always crazy? You know, I mean, his dad is kind of, you know, cra- yeah. and I guess that's another mystery is, are the Garveys crazy yeah. or are they just tapping into another wavelength that we don't perceive, Yeah, you know, in seeing people and all that. Um, and so I guess, I guess from here we're, we're going to break from the, cause we have kind of been recapping it. Yeah. So I think from here we're going to jump a little more around yeah, I, show, wanted, right? I wanted to talk about uh, Nora. Yes. Dunst. Durst. I don't know what her last name is. Yeah. Nora. I know her name's Nora. Dunst. 
Um, but they, the, you know, uh, the, the high schoolers follow her to, um, this, uh, senior couple's house and she starts asking them a series of questions and she's doing it under the guise of, and it might not departure benefits, right. Of departure benefits. More or less. It seems like she's working for an insurance company, but then she starts asking these questions and the questions seem to be more, uh, at least for me, they seem to be more along the lines of like questions that you would be asking families of the departed to sort of try and thread together who disappeared and why. And if there was this common theme as to the people who disappeared. Right. So I thought that was uh, interesting. I actually really liked the scene. Yeah, where she's, so I, I thought it was handled really well. Um, but I thought that that was sort of, I wondered if you had any takes on that. Um, yeah, that that was my take as well. And yeah. I think I think the one, um, and this goes to, I don't understand how insurance in, adjusters and whatever people work. But if she really was working for the departure benefits or this insurance company or the government or whatever, um, wouldn't she have the file and like, wouldn't she have glanced at the file and like known that he had down, down syndrome, syndrome? Yeah. like, and, and then wouldn't, and I feel like they did kind of play it up where in the beginning, she's trying to be like, I have to ask these questions. Don't be offended. I have to ask these questions, but it was more out of like her maybe trying to cover mistakes like that mm -hmm. because she has no information mm -hmm. of these people. Maybe she just has a name and an address or she knows these people put in for departure benefits or something like that. Um, Cause I feel like that moment is supposed to kind of hit home for us and for Nora, like yikes, you know, like this is not going well. Yeah. I, I just feel like, wouldn't she, if she was like, wouldn't she have known that and just, you know, either played it off better. Cause I feel like she kind of, didn't know what to say after that. Yeah. It was like, uh, yeah. Or, you know, at least assumed some of the answers. And I think another possibility, a couple of possibilities that she could just be doing it on her own. Right. That, that, see that, that, that's my theory. I think that she's just doing it on her right. own. I don't think that she has, she may have some connection, um, that may be helping her get names mm -hmm. in, of people who are doing, mm -hmm. you know, wanting departure benefits mm -hmm. and then going, trying to interview them. The other thing though, too, is like, these people live in her town. Right. So like if they, it seems like it could kind of be easy for them to find out that she doesn't work for departure benefits <laughs> yeah. and be like, why did you ask us those 150 questions? You yeah. psycho, you know? Yeah. Or, um, and another thing I just thought of is she could be doing it. She could be doing this and then feeding information to the preacher. Right. Who a little bit earlier than she gives that, a little kiss. Right. We see hug her or something. Yeah, yeah. Like fraternizing with him in the street. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then and then the scene ends with, uh, with the, with Jill, uh, and her friends driving away, right? And they share a glance. So like, I feel like there's something there, right? There's got to be some kind of history between the two, because they like stare each other down, and yeah. it's not just like a, it's not just like a you know you pesky teenagers stare. It's like a, it's like a knowing, I know you. Yeah, it's a knowing stare. Yeah. I, it'll be interesting if there if there is I you know again you know we're off book it's they don't have any connection there yeah um so may, maybe I I kind of feel like that was just a portentous stare with 
no real like yeah meaning. it very well like, could be that's my theory at yeah. least but and i think that's i think that's what i'm struggling with most with the show right now is how much of this means anything and how much of it is just stuff they're throwing in there because they think it's either cool or it's interesting or it's what should be in a tv show you know what i mean yeah like yeah. you can't just have them drive off and not look at each other well yeah i kind of i guess if i if i was pushed to kind of try and find a reason for i guess i'd say is to hammer home the guilt that she should be feeling her and her friend like yeah later on her friend is like eating the jelly beans she's like these are stale mm-hmm. she's like mm-hmm. those are prime men for children right and you can tell by the stuff in her car that you know nora has not moved on right. from the loss of her children and so i feel like maybe that stare is kind of like you know it's fun when nora is a just a a concept yeah you know in a house but when she's looking at you after you've ransacked her car you know it's something different yeah but i agree it wasn't really that clear what the intention was or what the look meant yeah okay so holy wayne uh is back well he's not he didn't go anywhere he's not back but holy wayne um we get to see holy wayne again uh boy do we his acting is oh yeah that's right we get to see him and he's pretty much naked i mean you don't see anything but he's naked later on yeah this probably adds to his creepiness well, yeah, this is, and this is later on. I'm talking about later on in the episode where they're in the gas station. After which, he's kissed Peter oh, Berg yeah. on the Well, lips. let's talk about that because when the first time that I watched the episode, I didn't, I didn't pick up on that. As angry <laughs> as the first Peter Berg cameo was, the second one completely went under my nose. And so when you texted me and was like, said something about um, him kissing Peter Berg, I thought you were like, I, like I thought you were like theorizing and I thought it was a really good joke. And then I watched <laughs> it today and I see him literally like long kissing Peter Berg. <laughs> I was like, is this really happening? Like at one, there's, there's one side of my brain that's just like, I really am not a fan of Peter Berg. And there's another side that's like, Peter Berg purposely made the choice to be dead in this gas station and have one of his actors like kiss, kiss him, him on the mouth for a really long time. And I really like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's really funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I guess, you know, the theme of our podcast is the humor. And I guess there is a lot of humor going through. I, I really yeah. like it too. I love the fact that he's like, I, I just, I love imagining how that played out where right. the actor's Holy Wayne is like, I just feel like I need to, be doing something weird here and peter berg is off screen like i don't know man what do you want you want to be chewing an apple or something? he's like no we've already done that he's like uh I, I need to be doing it and peter berg's like i got it i'm gonna be dead in this where are they they're How in did like peter, a gas station yeah, in, like a gas, in so the middle of nowhere peter I don't know. berg was somehow in the gas station defending right. holy wayne like I, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand how a place where Peter Berg was killed, apparently, what, the night before? Or, yeah, like the day before, wasn't like could now be off. safe. Yeah. yeah, like, oh, it's just Peter Berg died in there. <laughs> That's a safe place. Yeah. And then, yeah, it doesn't make sense thematically. It doesn't make sense locationally. And, and then he's just like, Peter Berg's like, just kiss me, you know? <laughs> They're like brilliant, and I feel like there's even like a spit line. Like I want to go back <laughs> and we watch. I think there's like there might be. a little spit line too that I saw there. Yeah, um, yeah. I thought that that was just like, yeah. I loved imagining how that came together. 
Yeah, and a lot of people aren't. I mean, I, I guess I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it referenced either way. But the 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 guy who plays Wayne, his acting really bothers me. Like it is very theatric. It's very like very. He might theatrical. as well like be on a stage in Broadway. Well, but yeah. instead the camera is like two feet from his face, so you're seeing like him twitch every muscle in his face and bug out his eyeballs and just as like. Man, this guy's really going for it. Well, the first time that we see him, he hugs, you know, the special girl. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, there's a hug and then a look at Tom. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the look goes on, but somehow he gets deeper in the hug. <laughs> like, I was like, is he going to merge himself <laughs> with her, like, looking at Tom the whole time? Yeah. Like, that look was just so ridiculous. And I think I, I tweeted to you as well that night. I was like, because we both have young kids, that he, he, to me, you feel like he's like Broadway. I feel like he's a actor who got shoved on some kind of children's show for mm-hmm. the last 10 years yeah. and then now gets called up to the big leagues, right. but is completely lost right. his like method right. acting approach that he came yeah. out of school with and is just completely like, Going for it. Yeah. Like he's back on children's yeah. television. Yeah, like he might as well be a member of like the Wiggles or the Fresh yeah. Band. <laughs> yes, exactly. And yeah. that and that's the energy he's bringing to Holy Wayne. Yeah. And so, and you still don't really know who he is. And at this point, he kind of, to me, just feels like a creep who's, who feels like, you know, this, this, uh, the world post everyone disappearing is just sort of like his play around to go around and creep everyone oh, out. <laughs> Playland. He's like, he's like, well, no one's going to stop me now. Right. And, and that, you know, and I guess that is one thing to say, like the, I am like pretty weirded out by his character. Well, you're weirded out by hugs. <laughs> so maybe that has something to do with it. So too. As much as his acting does bother me, I am, I do still think he's a pretty like, unsettling character but that's why i love that he has a line like looking at tom he's like i can't figure you out tom and i'm like holy wayne is complaining that he can't figure guy (laughs) i know exactly tom is a little scared kid who doesn't know what he's doing right you holy wayne are the are the mystery here you know i just found that so like when when Damon Lindelof was writing, did he imagine Holy Wayne to not be so big? Like he's he's thinking he's just writing a normal kind of character. Yeah. And that guy reads those lines. He's like, "Oh, I got this guy. <laughs> yeah. I know exactly what he's about." Yeah. You know. And he, yeah, it's like Tom is the most kind of paper. Like I know exactly what his motivation yeah. is. You know. Yeah. Yeah. This guy just doesn't understand the idea of someone who doesn't want to give him a hug. Just like if you just take a step back for a second, buddy, I think you could figure that out pretty easily. Right, right. Yeah, you're undoing his clothes. That's not like (laughs) welcoming. That's not a welcoming gesture for a hug. Uh, You know, he just walked in on you like making out with a corpse, (laughs) and you don't get him. I don't get you, Tom. Just making out with a corpse. Just want to give you a hug. Take off your shirt (laughs) for you. Yeah. Um. Yeah, this show is hilarious now. Yeah, I'm realizing so. uh, what are we thinking? Right? What are yeah. we thinking? For some reason, it doesn't come across in the show, but then when you talk about it, yeah, it's the funniest show. I've it's seen comedy gold. Um, yeah, it's the new Arrested Development. Yeah, there you go. Um, so and 
we spend some more time with the guilty remnant, or I guess we don't really spend a lot of time with the guilty remnant as much as we spend with Megan, Megan Lori. Mm-hmm. Um, Lori's obviously representing the guilty remnant. Um, and one thing I didn't really understand. And again, this goes back to like the scene with the therapist where um, I feel like I'm giving the show too much credit where this is more of just like a production uh, question where it's like, why is Meg, not Meg, why is Lori all of a sudden like her hair's done up nice? She's got a lot of makeup on. Is it like a recruiting tactic for Lori? Which I don't think it is. And I think if anything, it's more just like the producers or whoever saying like, look, this is like our leading female actor. We can't have her look like a scrub for the rest of the series. Like it's fine for the pilot because we're 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 trying to sell the show. But now that the show has been picked up and we're going to do... Give nine, some foundation. Nine more episodes. She's got to look like a, you know, she's got to be a pretty woman, basically. And it's just as like, to me, that, you know, it kind of, it, first of all, it just doesn't make any sense because you have these guilty remnant who are supposed to be like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, I don't see like straightening your hair every morning and putting on foundation and blush as part of like the guilty remnants routine. You hey, you I don't mean? know that. Maybe they don't even know. They don't have a core set That's of beliefs. That's true. That's true. That's a good point. You did bring that up earlier. They don't even know what they believe. <laughs> so maybe she's just like doing whatever. Um, but their interaction, I felt like, was... I guess it was fine. It was kind of like par for the course for Guilty Remnant stuff. You know, there's a lot of angry writing and a lot of like, you know, squinty eye looks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um but then they're having this conversation where um, Lori is forcing Meg to give stuff up, which I feel like could be a very powerful scene. Like if you're giving away your last possessions and like the one of the things she gives away is um, her mom's sweater that yeah. she loved. And she even says like, this is the last thing I wanted to give up. But that scene is all that scene to me is kind of ruined because there's a moment where Meg is just like, you know, oh, you were married to a hot cop. You were married to the hot cop. Why'd you ever leave him? And it's just like, oh, like, man, like, I feel like that is an attempt at sort of humor or levity that just like, you know, like, I, I feel like it's something that you got all the time and lost and it worked because you weren't dealing with what you're dealing with in this show. And because of the despair of the show and just because of the weight of that scene in general, it just like really stuck out to me. Line. Yeah, it just was like, man, that is so like, it just is like terrible. I feel like it's terrible writing, or it was just like, I don't know. It it's, just, it's like you know, somebody can be distracted really easily. It's like, uh, you know, you just with an animal or something, you're doing something over here, you just jangle keys. It's like, oh, keys. You know, it's like, I'm really sad. Oh, hot cop. Like, yeah. Oh, I could talk about hot cops all day long. You know. The, the one thing going back to that you're saying about the angry writing, you know, there was a lot of angry writing with the guilty remnant again this week. A lot of wasted paper. I want to see the like environmentally conscious guilty remnant member who's like still using his single sheet of paper he was given. Like <laughs> he's still writing all over right. and he's like in the margins. In the he has to point to where he what he's trying to say now. Or he just has like a list of his go to's, right? And he just points to each one. Exactly. Yeah. There's there's some humor moments to be had right there. Yeah. Take out strike the hot cop line 
and bring in the environmentally minded guilty right. remnant member. Yeah. I think we got winning formula there. Yeah. Uh, and another character that makes a uh, pretty, hmm, maybe not significant, but at least interesting reappearance in this episode is the hunter or who the psychiatrist likes to refer to as the mystery man. Um, but the hunter that made me laugh. The mystery man yeah. from the therapist. Yeah. Yeah. But the hunter who is sort of a running theme throughout the entire episode because, um, you know, apparently Garvey has put out a call to find his truck. No one can find it. Eventually it shows up at his house. Everyone starts to think maybe Kevin is a little like losing it a little bit. Um, and I think we're meant to think that as well when the bagels disappear or whatever, um, earlier in the show, but then the hunter shows up at his doorstep, right? Like yeah, he rings the doorbell or whatever, right? And he brings beer and, um, uh, and I think the, the, the big significance from that scene. And I think what confirms for me that he's real, uh, is that I think, first of all, what confirms for me that he's real is that the show's up to that point is trying so hard to convince you that he's not real. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which makes me think this guy's real. Um, but I think they confirm it by having the daughter take the beer from him. And then later after he's gone, his daughter is like, who was that guy? Right. Yeah. Um, but, but the question I had for you is the hunter, the is the hunter, this hunter guy in the book. Does he have like any kind of relationship with Garvey in the book or no? And so no to both. Or he's just no to both in the book. Kevin Garvey isn't even portrayed as being particularly insane. Oh, really? Yeah. Like in the book, he's like a, he's scarily well-adjusted. Right. Which is, seems to be one of the problems that Laurie had with him. Like one of the early scenes in the book is she comes home and is still kind of like haunted by what's going on. And he like just comes back from a run. He's like, Hey hon, how are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And she's just like, who is this guy? This, you know, it's just yeah. like, you know, could you ever just get back into your routine again? Yeah. So this Kevin Garvey is totally new to me. This, this Hunter is a total invention. I like the idea, especially with what they did with Kevin's father later on. I like mm. the idea of questioning his sanity. Yeah. Um, I think that's always interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I liked... I like that scene. The one thing that's interesting that I think you brought up as well is um, who notices the the hunter. So he's standing outside Kevin's house. He has right. a six pack. Right. Kevin acknowledges him. His daughter. Kevin's daughter acknowledges him. And Kevin's like, daughter's friend. Friend. Amy. Who, Amy, who's living with them, just completely walks by him and right. doesn't even acknowledge yeah. him. And out of the two girls, she seems to be the one who would, with a stranger, like, talk to him. Interact somewhere. Interact with him. And the fact that she didn't, I found to be interesting. So, if you had to answer right now, is the hunter real or... And I I guess it's not even is he real or imagined because he's real in some sense. Right. Two Garveys have seen him. But what is he? Do you think he's... That's actually what I was going to ask you, is what do you think his significance is? Well, I asked you. Right. And I think that his significance... 
Um, oh man, and I had it too, and now I can't think of it. But I, I think his significance is a way to. I, I think his. I think he's real, and I think the purpose he serves is to sort of. Um, open Kevin's eyes for lack of a better term, you know, and I think that's demonstrated with the dogs and you can always already see, you know, Kevin adopting that viewpoint when he has that interaction with the mayor and he repeats the hunter's line from the first episode right, where he says, they're dogs. not our dogs, not anymore or whatever. And so I think that's what the hunter will, will serve for this, for the show. Um, but, you know, I've already read a, f- a few theories where, you know, because later on the father addresses someone is coming to help you or whatever. Right. This idea that is is the hunter somehow an illusion or a figment specific to the Garvey family, which I think you started to bring up a little bit by saying the daughter, Kevin recognizes him or acknowledges him. The daughter acknowledges him, but the friend is acting like nobody's even there. Yeah, but but and the friend doesn't even stop to be like, who are you talking? Like she just keeps walking. Mm-hmm. So it, it's weird that you'd think if two people started talking to a right. empty, although maybe she thought they were talking to each other. Right. The daughter stopped to talk to her dad. And another question I have, and I think this is something that True Detective really suffered from, is if it turns out that this hunter is just like a real normal guy, and maybe like he knows Kevin's dad somehow, or they're communicate in some way like maybe he visits kevin dad as kevin's dad as well are we then going to look back at all of these signs of like you know the friend's daughter doesn't acknowledge him or the dad hearing voices saying some guy's coming to help you are we going to look back at that and say like well why is all this stuff in there if this is just like a regular guy from the neighborhood i i see i don't think he is i think he's oh, really yeah i think that he's some kind of supernatural like and i guess it's it's funny because i was going to say the show hasn't really done much supernatural it's like two percent of the population disappeared this show has established itself as a supernatural kind of environment at least but with him saying you know we're doing god's work you know and Mm -hmm. with him being like i don't need my truck anymore to me, this is a man with a mission, a specific mission, and it's not just killing dogs. It's specifically meant for Kevin. And to me, I don't see how, based on how he's been reacting and interacting, that yeah. he is like fully real. I think the Garvey family have some kind of ability to see some supernatural elements or forces or something. But I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. That's a weak, that's, that's like a weak kind of, uh, theory. Yeah. I don't don't have a lot behind it. Just we'll see how it plays out. I'm not invested, I guess. Yeah. It turns out to be real fine. If it turns out to be some kind of angel or something. Yeah. And again, I think because we're only at the second episode, it's kind of the same, the same deal with, like um, Wayne's healing power. Like if it's yeah. something that starts getting built up over time and then ultimately you just find out like, Hey, he's just as like 
one of Kevin's dad's old like drinking buddies or whatever. It's kind of like, oh, that's going to be a little disappointing. <laughs> but if it just is, you know, maybe at the in the next episode it's handled or explained or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the show uh, doesn't. This isn't the last scene in the show, but I think it's the the most significant. Um, is uh, Kevin uh, visits the mental hospital, I guess, that his dad is staying at. Mm-hmm. Um, and he walks in on the mayor. Uh, and the mayor comes by earlier and says, like, I'm going to see him. Right. You know, it's very, amb- like, ambiguous. purposefully ambiguous. Right. And going back to that scene now, it just is kind of like, I feel like they could have been, it would have been even more intriguing if she was just like, I'm going to visit your father, father. tonight. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because you'd be like, well, wait a minute. Why is she visiting his father? Yeah. Instead, she's just like, I'm going to see him tonight. And you're kind of like, all right, give it a give it a break. Can I fast forward to see who him is and then rewind right, back? Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I was going to ask if that relationship is in the book, but then I remembered that in the book, Kevin Garvey is the mayor. <laughs> so yeah. obviously it's not. Right. Um, but is Kevin's father in the book? No, not at all. So that's a creation as well. If he is, I can't remember him. Okay. And, and like I said, I didn't like the book. So, you know, I read it. Right. And I think if I liked it a little better, I would. and if they said, this is an adaptation of the book, right. you know, I probably would have gone back and taken notes and stuff like yeah. that. But I didn't like it. And, and um, well, I'll save it for later. Well, but. no, I was going to ask, what do you think of that relationship or potential relationship between the mayor and the and Kevin's father. Well, Kevin's father was chief of police before him, right? right? So, and Kevin's also living in his house, I guess. <laughs> right? Yeah, something like that. It's, because again, because I, at the in the in the scene his father's like how's the house? How or how's my house? And then Kevin says Paul or somebody tried to burn the fence down or something or Paul right, set the right. fence on fire. So like Right. He's and not only did he take over his dad's job as chief of police, but he moved into his house. I'm going to say going back to something else we talked really quickly about the fire imagery is interesting. Like if you think about, mm-hmm. again, the biblical imagery and the burning and, yeah. you know, the, the fence catches on fire. And and it happens um, because his neighbor is burning his brother's possessions. Brother's possessions right. and, and, you know, the, the, the connection with Kevin. Um, you know, that relationship, again, you you have to ask, and I hate doing this, but it's there, like with. Damon Lindelof and Loss and all that stuff. And you know what? I'm going to take back my apology because <laughs> he did work on Lost. That is his past writing, right? Yeah. So, I mean, if any, if you're going to, you know, engage somebody's present work, is not their past work yeah. like a good place to kind of start? My feeling on that was pace, right? Like, is this too much too soon? Like we're dealing. Okay. Is Kevin crazy? His dad went crazy. Now their meeting is like, maybe he's not crazy. Who's the hunter? Like, and I guess I like that it's all playing in the same sandbox. It's not like polar bear, smoke monster, like time travel, you know, where they're these disparate things. These are all playing with the same characters, the same ideas. So maybe that's a little better. But to me, I'm like, all right. So it's, it's another thing on my list to like figure out. Again, I'm not interested in the big mystery. You could keep that mystery. That's fine. But do the Garveys have some sixth sense 
or a third mm-hmm. eye or mm-hmm. something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, I don't know, on that, I, I just ended up just watching the scene and being like, not enough information. Like, I need more information to make, have any idea of these characters and their relationships and what's going on. I didn't like the way they tied in the mayor. Like, no, it's like set up so arbitrary. Yeah. Set up that connection. Did he save her life or something when he was chief? Did he pull her from a a flipped over car or something? Like, why is she connected to his father? It just seems like a very arbitrary way to introduce even more like tension between the two characters. Right. And like, it just kind of like seems... she does care about him. Right. In it the first seems episode. like a very lazy way to do that to me. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and I just, I don't know why, but it just is like these sort of love triangle, love interest stuff that people do to create a quote unquote like natural conflict or whatever. It just seems, it just feels so lazy to me. And it always, I just is never interesting. You know? What yeah. Mean? Like, and, and I have to say, like. In the first episode, Kevin Garvey came into that town hall meeting or whatever, that planning meeting for the parade, like really aggressive yeah. and like pretty much like, I hate you, yeah. you know, and like, this is ridiculous right. and blah, blah, blah. And then like, she comes to him again. He's like trying to find his bagels. <laughs> he's getting more and more upset and frustrated. Yeah. And I just want to be like, all right, like number one was she pulled from flaming wreckage by his dad but then alternatively did she like try and destroy his life somehow like why mm. is he so angry but like you said is he just a hothead like right is this a guy who'd be taking apart the toaster looking for his bagels right even if everybody didn't right. depart or is it like is it like a pride issue like he's embarrassed that his dad and the mayor are dating you know what i mean like is he just very prideful it could be that it could be that he's just as a hothead or whatever you just don't know yeah um but f- he uh sits down to have a conversation with his dad his dad then in the middle of the conversation breaks into speaking to different voices that are in his head i i guess which is i felt like the acting on that was just really bad and it was just was like it just felt like it almost felt like a like a like a practice take. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like he's just talking, 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 and then all of a sudden he's talking to these voice like like at least like lower your voice or like start muttering or something. So we're kind of like, wait a minute, what's going on? But instead it just is like he might as well have just been like, Hey, how are you doing? Now I'm talking to voices in my head. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just Yeah. Like, that that's a hard thing to act though. Yeah, I get that. I'm but. just gonna in the middle of my sense hear another voice and snap at it. Yeah. It Shut just, up. Um, it just didn't work for me. And I, and I was reading, um, the onion AVs, uh, I guess it's not a recap that they do, but they just do like a, rating, a write up, a write up of, of each episode, right. And give it a, ra- a rating at the end of the onion AVs write up for this. The writer, um, wrote, then Kevin's father tells him that one of his voices said someone was being sent to guide him. And you're forced to wonder, is this man a literary device, magical, or just some guy? The ambiguity is a delightful sweet spot. It lets the story be what it needs to be to the viewer, which is the best kind of story. Which I agree with, in theory. Mm -hmm. But then, again, when you sort of put that in the framework of it's being presented to you by Damon Lindelof, who did those exact same things and lost, and they were never paid off, it becomes a little, like disconcerting for me 
And I guess that's been the theme of our talk about this episode. Is it's kind of like we're starting to see all of these, not retreads necessarily, but just sort of like themes that Lindelof likes to play with. And the only real experience that we have from him is not paying those things off. Right. And, and even though we, and this is focusing on character stuff, right? We're yeah. not focusing on big picture, you know, what caused the departure. Yeah. And I, I guess the one thing that disheartened me too were, were the caricatures of the, of the people. And to me, I, I'm interested to see how everything plays out. I don't think any of the main characters in the main story are caricatures yet, but the people surrounding them are kind of played or written that way. And it'll be interesting how he kind of balances, you know, everyone from like even Amy, like the friend of the Garvey, like she's just an annoying caricature of a kind of rebellious teen, you know? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how everything plays out. And after two episodes, I can, I think the second was a little dip down. It's still, an interesting show. I still got through it, you know, yeah. and, and was engaged by, by a lot of it. Um, but, uh, I think what we'll see, and I've, I've heard people say that in the third and fourth episodes, it does kind of go a different direction than what you expect. So I'm really interested for that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I want to, yeah, I, I agree. Um, and all of the, all of the things that have kind of disappointed me up until this point, as much as I've mentioned Damon Lindelof, I feel like most of it can be attributed to Peter Berg and sort of his style of directing. And mm-hmm. I feel like he's very straightforward. He's almost like a more respectable Michael Bay. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you look at the movies that he's directed, he doesn't handle like he doesn't really handle like human interaction, right? Like he directed battleship and like the rundown, the kingdom. I've never, I didn't see the kingdom. You see the king- that, yeah, that, that to me is the closest approximation to this, like a, like a serious film mm-hmm. that also is full of caricatures mm-hmm. of, you know, like I, I was excited to see the kingdom cause I thought it was going to be a more nuanced look at something and, or, you know, lone survivor, right? Like yeah, lone survivor, his characters seem more like yeah they seem more like it it seems like they're more like characters that are there to serve maybe the story instead of characters that the story is about right maybe that's a uh, that's how i want to put it yeah um so i'm i one of the reasons i'm still excited for the show is the prospect of someone else directing the episodes yeah and that cu- that coupled with the fact that every like this is getting a lot of praise like and everyone is yeah. saying the third and fourth episodes are awesome yeah and the series is really good yeah now with that being said you know the the AV Club write up that I read about the show today gave it like an A minus or something and like I thought this episode was pretty not good <laughs> like I didn't <sighs> care for it at all I I think the low points were really low the high points were were, were high I think. You know, reading some of the recaps too, there are some interesting connections that that were made. I don't think the scenes themselves were pulled off as elegantly as, you know, the showrunners and director probably would have liked. Yeah. You know, and I think that there's just a lot more to mock in this episode, but in kind of mocking or like, it got good laughs out of me, like talking about it. So maybe... 
it all is serving its kind of weird purpose, you yeah. know? I'm interested to see how it ties together. I, I still feel like there's not enough to make declarations about the show yet. Um, but just to say that this episode was a step a step down. Yeah. All right. Well, let's um, finish with our leftover observations. Ooh. We're stretching this thin. <laughs> this is being stretched. Um, I'll, I'll go first, and it ties. It comes directly from the scene we were just talking about with um, Kevin and his father in the mental institute, and there's another celebrity disappearance joke mm-hmm. when his father mentions that the entire cast of Perfect Stranger disappeared, and it's not funny. <laughs> it's not funny saying it out loud. It's not funny in the show. And it's not it's not funny either because it's kind of not that far from what actually happened. Like if you told me in our world today, right, the entire cast disappeared, I'd be like, oh, that's yeah. that's a shame. Yeah, it's I guess it's kind of like a straightforward <laughs> allegory for like what happened? actual Hollywood careers, right? Right. Uh, which in one sense I think you could look at as maybe being kind of cruel, <laughs> but I, I guess I was wondering like. First of all, is this going to be like a running thread where like in every single episode there's like a this person, this celebrity disappeared on the day, um, which led me to think like, is is it ever going to be funny? Like, are there is there like a celebrity that could disappear that would be fu- like, I mean, the joke is basically people disappeared on this day and so did this celebrity. Like it's like it not it's not inherently funny. Right. right. Something like you have to add something to it to be funny where yeah. so far it's just has been like the first episode. Here's a list. Here's some like shots. Pro, here's some like uh, glamour shots of the of the celebrities that disappeared. Like I would love if somebody was like in the show, like the teenagers, maybe they're like, oh, man, I found this video. Somebody's video of Axl Rose trying to hit a high note and then he disappears. <laughs> he disappears. You know, and he's like, <laughs> you see like fat Axl Rose trying to screech right. out a high note and then, and then he just disappears. He disappears. That could like, be funny. It needs context, right? It's yeah, like these people just, just disappearing isn't funny. Exactly. But if you just give it a little bit of context, you know, like uh, Keith Richards climbed another coconut tree and – he actually fell out again right. and before he hit the ground right he disappeared he disappeared right and yeah the only thing i could really think of was like maybe it would be funny if like all of the world's magicians actually disappeared yeah or or, or like the big one like david copperfield right. or david blaine like oh david blaine would right. be the best like, i feel like i feel like that would be as close as you could get to be like this celebrity dis- did you hear david blaine disappeared on the disappearance day like or like or what if you're like did you hear David Blaine disappeared and Chris Angel's pissed? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or like, did you hear David Blaine disappeared and now Chris Angel's like in hiding, but everyone knows he's still here. Or like Chris Angel is still trying to publicly disappear. <laughs> like he's locked himself in a box <laughs> until he disappears. Yeah. <laughs> um they, they haven't mined that uh no that mine yet yeah um uh live tyler's i had written down here live tyler's crazy tree chopping face is really crazy <laughs> <laughs> well i mean she is she's going for it and i do have to say 
if you read Vox, I wanted to, Brandon Ambrosino, I think, is the mm-hmm. guy who writes at Vox. He has an interesting take, too, on kind of like what the biblical idea of, of you know, uprooting a tree in the biblical context of even revelation and yeah. kind of like, again, this kind of sorting and, you know, maybe what chopping a tree could mean. Mm-hmm. I think that that's, that, that stuff is interesting. So again, read Vox, but yeah, I need to go back. I've only seen it once. I will go back and look at Liv Tyler's tree yeah, chopping. It's pretty phase. incredible. Um, and then the only ones I had left were I had, I had my favorite part of the episode, which is from, the first time I watched, and then I had a second one. Okay. After watching the second time, but my the first time I watched the episode, I absolutely loved the moment at at the very end when Kevin shows up to take apart to disassemble the the bagel toaster, and he walks in, and there's just some like overweight police officer sitting at the front desk, mm-hmm. and he says, "Hey, chief, you good?" And Kevin's like, and Kevin says, "Fantastic." And then it very purposefully cuts to a close-up of the police officer as he takes a gigantic bite out of, like, a hoagie. And then he just cuts away. And it's like, again, it reminded me of, like, the scene with the apple. Like, why Why is that? Like, I guess maybe that's part of the humor of the show. Right. right? But that really caught me off guard. And it's just it's like... Just give him a hoagie and I'm shoving his face right. afterwards. Yeah. And what, then, if, what if he was, that was like, a punishment? <laughs> like I could imagine Peter Berg also being like, right. uh, you know, he flubbed a line where he's like, <laughs> say, give him a hoagie. I'm going to get close to this guy eating it. Messing up his lines. <laughs> Maybe that's the same thing with the CIA director. So it's like, this guy keeps messing things up or this. Maybe it's like, this guy really wants to eat an apple in the scene. So you know what we're going to do for this last shot of him eating an apple? Give him like a rock hard apple, apple and make it huge. Right. <laughs> Um, and then after watching it a second time, I paid a little bit more attention to the scene directly after that, where Kevin actually starts taking apart the bagel toaster and you start getting the score that everyone is so in love with. And it's like this very dramatic, you know, swelling of strings and it's, this music is playing and like on screen, like Kevin Garvey is just like holding a bagel. Like so you have these very dramatic strings playing over a guy just staring at a bagel. It's a I metaphor, mean, Justin. It's, it's what just, if the bagel was disappeared? It's like that juxtaposition. <laughs> right. like the idea of like on the script, it just is like music swells. Kevin stares at once thought disappeared bagel. bagel. Burnt. <laughs> Burnt bagel. Yeah. Kevin weeps and then they just cut out that last part. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that's it. Uh, if you have any feedback, hmm. if we're wrong about anything, let us know. Um, the details will be in the description of the episode. You can go to brownbluewhite.com and get our information, find all the episodes there, find our other podcasts there, whatever you want to do. Um, but you can, I think the easiest way to contact us would be on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Blizzard with nine Zs. And Keith is on Twitter. At things come right, but that may change to something leftover related. Oh, okay. I haven't figured it out yet. Things come left over. (laughs) 
Uh, it's not going to have anything to do with the guilty remnant. Oh, yeah. Well, we covered that. I don't identify with that. Yeah, I don't want to go down that path again. Um, so, like I said, email us. Leave us a review if you want. Sure. We would appreciate we'll take it, it. Good or bad. We'll take it. Um, but uh, And do the uh, voice modulator challenge. Yes. Yeah. Do that. Let's Let us know, that know goes. how it goes. <laughs> um, but until then, uh, we will be back next uh, next week on sure. Monday or Tuesday. 